Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, 1 John chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, and before I start preaching, I want to mention something I failed to mention a minute ago. We have a Easter landing page up on the website. It's pvine.org slash Easter. I have shot a welcome, uh, an invitation video on there for people, so feel free to start sharing that as an invitation now, pvine.org slash Easter. Let me also say this. For the first time, we're doing something a little different this Easter weekend, and that is we're having a Good Friday service on Good Friday. It's going to be, to just try to put it in, and it's going to happen at Rossville, and it's going to happen here as well. And just try to put it in perspective. Think candlelight service at Easter with no candles, all right? It's kind of that kind of thing. The choir is going to, uh, here at the main campus, is, uh, at Central Campus, is going to absolutely rock the house that night. They're going to do the same thing with the worship team at Rossville. And uh, we're going to have about a 45-minute worship service on Good Friday night, getting us ready, getting our hearts in the right place. We're going to focus on the cross on Friday night. I'm telling you, it's going to be fantastic. After that, we're having a nighttime Easter egg hunt for the kids. So, uh, yep, it's harder to find them in the dark for sure. And so uh, um, that's going to be fun. So what happens is if you have kids, when you come on campus, you know, we'll just be all do the worship service. We're going to use the end zone as overflow. The overflow room is overflow here at uh, the Rock Spring campus. And then we're going to pack out the Rossville campus on on that night. Uh, And so uh, here's what we want you to do. Block off that Friday night uh, and that Saturday for Good Friday and Easter. It's going to be awesome. That Good Friday service is going to be fantastic. And so Man, I'm looking forward to that, and today's kind of the first day I want to announce it. So just put that Easter weekend on your calendar. Good Friday. Now, you don't have to have, uh, you have to be a kid to do the Easter egg hunt, but the service not just for kids. It's for everybody. You don't have to stay for the Easter egg hunt. Uh, you can just come for the worship service and leave, and I'm telling you, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be I don't know what the new phrase is today, kids. Uh, off the chain, lit. I don't know what it is. It's going to be all that stuff. It's going to be all that stuff. It's going to be all that stuff. 1 John chapter 2. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Love Life, What's Love Got to Do With It? And, and uh, we, we've looked at a couple sermons. Uh, uh, book of John mentions the word love 27 times. That's the third most of any book in the Bible. And it's only got five short chapters. So it has a lot to do with love in our life. Now, we're not talking about husband-wife relationship, though a lot of the stuff we will talk about will apply to that. We're not talking about boyfriend, girlfriend, or any of that. We're talking about uh, the love a Christian ought to have. What's love got to do with it? Well, the whole Christian life is built around this idea of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's the author who wrote that verse, also wrote the book of 1 John. And so we've been a couple of sermons in, and we've looked at, uh, first of all, God's love for us. And we, we, we saw how God gave his life for us. Last week, we looked at our love for the brethren. It was the most talked about uh, theme in the book of 1 John was our love for one another. And today I want to look at one of those subjects that's dominant in the book of 1 John, and it's our love for God. So last week I talked about you give love a bad name. I told you I borrowed a Bon Jovi uh, title. 
and I couldn't help myself this week. So I got foreigner title this week. I want to know what love is, is the title of my sermon this week. And after the invitation, I will sing the song for you. No, I'm just kidding. I want to know what love is. And so I want to know what loving God looks like. Because we don't exactly have it right in the Christian life. That we know what loving God really is. Because there are people who say, I love God, but you and I both doubt it. There have been times in your life when you would have said, I love God. But you knew. You knew you probably probably didn't. So what does 1 John tell us about that? Well, before we dive into the text, I want to show you, uh, uh, tell you something I read this week. Uh, it, it was a research study that came out that said, Americans may disagree on many things, but love might not be one of them. That according to researchers, people in the U.S. largely agree about what makes them feel loved. Coming to a general consensus, get this, that it may be small gestures that matter most. In a research study, uh, researchers found that small, non-romantic gestures, small, non-romantic gestures, like someone showing compassion or snuggling with a child, top the list of what makes people feel loved. Meanwhile, controlling behaviors, like someone wanting to know where they are at all times, was seen as the least loving. Sadie Heshmati, a postdoctoral research scholar who is working with Zeta Orovetch in Penn State's College of Health and Human Development said the study results published in the journals of social and personal relationships could give insight into how love affects people's overall well-being. Now, I said all that to get to this paragraph. Listen to this. Here, and I quote, we found that behavioral actions rather than purely verbal expressions triggered more consensus as indicators of love. Listen to that sentence. Behavioral actions more than purely verbal expressions triggered more consensus as uh, uh, consensus as indicators of love. For example, child snuggling with them was more loving than someone saying, I love you. He said, you might not think they would score on the same level, but people were in agreement about loving actions where there's more authenticity perhaps instead of a person just saying, I love you. Here's the conclusion of that study. Here it is. That doing loving things said I love you more than saying I love you express love. It was actually the actions that you bestowed on another individual made them feel loved more than you saying I love you. The fact of the matter is, if you want to express love to a friend, a family member, a spouse, or a church member, or even a stranger, they are going to be feel more loved if you do something tangible that expresses your love for them versus you just saying you love them. And the interesting thing about that research project is this, that that is exactly how God says We ought to love him. That in your relationship with God, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to show it. So stand with me as we read God's word. And really in four simple, short verses, 
John explains to us what love is and how we are to love God. Look at John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word Truly, the love of God is perfected in him or is at a maturity level in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in Jesus ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. Thank you. You may be seated. Hey, let me walk you through the passage and let me, um, let me explain to you how we love God. John has just uh, told them in the preceding two verses that we should not sin. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. He he starts off uh, in verse chapter number two, verse number one, he says, hey, by the way, you should never, ever sin, right? There's no excuse for ever sinning. But he said, if you do sin, that you have an advocate in Jesus who pleads our case before the throne of God. So John has said this, you should never sin. However, we know you're going to sin. And just so you know, you have someone, Jesus, who stands before God and pleads your case. So immediately, look this way, immediately some would begin to think, oh, well, if that's the case, then let's just sin away. I mean, right, I, I know I'm not supposed to sin, but if I'm going to sin, Jesus is taking care of it, then let me just wallow in grace Let me wallow in mercy and let me just sin away because after all, Jesus is going to take care of that. And so there are many in the Christian life today who would even have that philosophy. Well, I mean, I know I shouldn't do that, but God will forgive me. Well, I know I shouldn't act that way, but God will forgive me. I know I shouldn't walk around with this emotion this in my life, but God will forgive me. I know I shouldn't go over there, but God will forgive me. I know I shouldn't do that, but God will forgive me. I know I shouldn't be with them, but God will forgive me. So when you read verses 1 and 2, he says, hey, don't sin. But if you do sin, because we know we're all going to sin, uh, here's what's going to happen. God is going to plead your cause before God. Christ is going to plead your cause before God. And so if you'd stopped reading at verse number 2, it'd be time to throw a hedonistic party. I mean, after all, God's got this. But it didn't end at verse 2. So he goes on and begins in verse number 3. He says, now by this, that, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. See, for those who want to know if they know God, if they love God in a personal way, John gave a simple test. We know that we have come to know him one way if we obey and keep. His commandments. The classical Greek had at least two words for love. One was oida, which means uh, knowledge gained by abstract learning. It's what you got in a classroom. But the second word was gnosko, which meant knowledge gained through experience. And that's the word he's using in verse number three. We know through experience. We, we know that we have knowledge of God in relationship. We know that we know God. We know that we love God. That that we don't just know him because we learned about him in church. We don't just know him because we learned about him in Sunday school. We know him. It's in the perfect tense which John often used to describe the believer who has come to know God in a loving personal way because of an encounter with him somewhere in the past. And so he is saying we, we know that we are knowing him. 
How do we know that we're knowing him? How do we know that we love God, John? And he said such a relationship can be tested by looking for consistent obedience to God's command. Hey, John was faced with a dilemma. In the Greek age, there were two schools of thought. In the Greek world, there were people who saw God as an intellectual exercise. And they would say, I know God without being conscious of any ethical obligations whatsoever. So they would say, well, I know God. I've learned about him in a classroom. And then there was another group of people who said it was all an emotional experience. And so they would say, I am in God and God is in me. And yet they did not see God in terms of needing to live with any commandments or obedience at all. And John is determined to lay it down without compromise. That the only way in which we can show that we know and love God, get this, the only way is by obedience to him. Intellectual effort and emotional experience are not neglected. They're part of the Christian life, but they are far from being the test. The test is seen in your moral action. Has the love of God changed my life? If it has, then my expression of love back towards God is I am obeying his commandments. And so in verse number four, he he elaborates and he says, he says, I know him and does not keep his commandments as a liar. And the truth is not in him. I mean, there's not a lot of need for explanation there. John is saying that the man who says, I know him, I love Jesus, but do not do what he commands. John said this, this strong language. John said, you are a liar. That the test, uh, John was not afraid to call out this kind of claim. He said, if you say you know God and you do not, you're a liar, and as a matter of fact, not only are you a liar, you don't have any truth in you. The scripture never gives us the impression that we can sin without impunity because we are saved by grace. Nothing is taught in the word more clearly than faith in Christ always uh, implies surrender to Christ and obedience to his command. Get this, there is no true faith without obedience. Now, now look right this way for a minute. I, I don't know if you've picked up on it or not, but verse 3 and 4 are like a 2 by 4 in the face on a Sunday morning. And John's not even finished. Because it goes on to verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And he says there, the obedient man keeps God's word and knows God and loves God. That obedience to God's word is proof of our love for him. There are at least three motives for obedience. Here they are. Number one, we, we, we obey because we have to. Number two, we obey because we need to. And number three, we obey because we want to. That's, how, that's the progression of a child is what we hope. The way they learned obedience as a child, the way you learned obedience as a child, was we obey because we had to. If we didn't, your, your mama wore you out, right? Or whatever your type of punishment was for my parents it was just you know swinging at my rear end with something you know that was good parenting back in the day I'm not gonna argue with you you do what you want to do uh, uh, but I was a good kid in a store you know what I'm saying and so because uh, uh, I was afraid of my life right mama didn't say uh, now Joe you can't have that candy bar and let me explain to you why you can't have that candy bar my mama smacked my hand and said, get your hand off that candy bar. I didn't get a reasonable, thought-out explanation. 
So I obeyed because I had to. Now, I, don't, I mean, I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm not saying that's a good parenting style. I'm not telling you that that's the right way to parent. I am not. Because if you parent that way, you might get one of me. And that may not be a good thing, right? I'm just telling you. Uh, that's just how it worked for me. Uh, my mama, just and my daddy, and Lord help if it was my daddy, but my daddy uh, just, I, I obeyed because I had to. But then you grow up, you, you obeyed, number two, because it, it meant enjoyment and reward. So we would obey so we would get certain needs met in our life. For example, you get a car, kids, you get a car, you're smart to obey your parents or they'll take the car away from you. It's a reward punishment type system. And so you want to do, do what you want to do. Your mama says, hey, if you'll clean your room, I'll give you a candy bar or, or something. And so um, you want to clean your room because it's a reward. That's the second. But the third type of obedience is obedience because you love someone. And that is what verse number five, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God has been perfected in him. You aren't living the Christian life because you're afraid of being punished. You aren't living the Christian life because you have to, because somebody's watching. You're living for Christ because you love Jesus. And then verse number six. And can I say this? Baby Christians must constantly be warned or rewarded. Mature Christians listen to the word of God and obey it. Because they love, not the preacher, not the church, but because they love Jesus. And then finally, in verse number six, intimacy with Christ inevitably produces a daily walk that looks like Jesus. Look at verse six. He who says he abides in him ought, ought, him, ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. John used the word abides. It's a strong term to describe a permanent relationship with Jesus. And here's what he's saying. Any person who claims to abide in Christ is under obligation to behave in the same way as his Lord behaved. Ought and walk are both in the present tense, emphasizing the believer's need to behave in this way continually. He says in verse number 6 that he who abides in him ought himself also to walk. Present tense. That means that every day of your life, you're, you're trying to walk the way Jesus walked. You're trying to be like Christ. That the person who professes Jesus Christ, who claims that he loves God, is obligated to walk as Christ walked. He is in debt even to walk as Christ walked. So if you want to know what love is, John has just described it. He told us exactly what loving Jesus, what loving God looks like. So some of you are saying this morning, well, how can I know if I love God? How do I know if I really love God? And John gave us three categories of people that you can find yourself somewhere, or at least two categories of people. So how do you know if you love God? Number one, let me say this. There are those who know they know. That's what verse number three says. By this we know that we know him. You say, well, preacher, how do I know if I love God? Those who know they know are God, who know they know they love God, are obedient to the commands of God. Now, apparently there were some in Ephesus who the book was written to who claimed to know God, but they made no effort to keep God's commandments. That religion was known as Gnosticism. It prided itself in knowing God through mystical enlightenment, through, through the, the, though the knowledge had no bearing on their moral behavior. And John set them straight about the claim. He said, if you know God, if you love God, here's how you know you keep his commandments. Now, listen carefully. Look, look right this way. 
That distinction is real comforting when we look at extreme sin, assuming you're not involved in extreme sin. It makes it plain that those who clearly live like the devil can make no claim to be a Christian. Hey, look right this way. Those who live like the devil can make no claim to be a Christian. Now, you all, we live in the South. We were talking last night at house. We really, we really confuse America and Jesus a lot. Like we think they're the same thing and they're not. And in the South, we confuse it even more. That we think America, Jesus, and the South is what makes you a Christian, right? If you were born in, a, uh, in the South, in the Bible Belt, with a gun nearby, you're a Christian, right? Like that's, uh, no, no, that's not true. It's not true. And so we know people who live in this area, you may be in this room this morning, who make no, have no, no regard for God and his word. Have no regard for God and his lifestyle. Have no regard for the things of God. But yet if you were to ask them, you would say, well, let me ask you this. If you died today, where would you go? They say, oh, I'd go to heaven. I, I, got, I walked down the aisle when I was six. And, uh, and nothing wrong with walking out when you're six, but they say, oh, well, now I'm six. And, and, well, huh. Now, you go to church? No. You party all weekend? Yeah. You run around your husband and wife? Oh, of course. But you're, you're a Christian. Oh, yes, sir. I got a bumper sticker on my truck that said, Jesus saves. <laughs> well, he does, but I don't think he did you, fella. Because here's what John is saying, that you know you're a child of God, you know you know God, you know you love God. If you are, if you are passionate and pursuing keeping the commands of God, but I can flip that on its edge and I can say to you that if you don't, aren't trying to do that, if you aren't keeping his command, and so it's real simple. So if, if you've got somebody and you, you come up to him and he's a bootlegger and a murderer and run around with his wife, you, you, you have no problem saying, I don't believe that guy's saved. Look, you don't have to say believe with it. You can just say that guy's not saved. I, I wouldn't want to go to stand before God in his condition, right? I'm not preaching salvation by works. I'll make that very clear in a moment. But I'm preaching works because of salvation. That's what John is saying. But now wait a minute. I get it with the murdering bootlegger running around on his wife guy, but what about you who sinned last night? What about me who sinned this morning? My sin's not so extreme. As a matter of fact, my sin, it doesn't really even fall inside the Ten Commandments. I mean, if, you're, if, it was, if it was a commandment, it'd be like 312. You know, it's way down the list. I mean, after all, what, what I'm doing is not that, not that bad. Is that verse saying that if I've broken even a small commandment, Clearly, the Bible's not saying that we have to have perfect obedience. But the issue is whether or not we take God's commandments seriously and we're trying to keep them. The fact is, we're not going to keep them perfectly. We may not even have a perfectly consistent desire to keep them. But if we're truly born again, we will not live our lives in disregard for God's commandments. 
Here's how you know you know you love God. Do you have the desire to walk with God and live for him? If you love Jesus, if you know Jesus, you'll want to live the way Jesus lived, the way he asked you to live. You know you love him because of how much you care about living for him. Listen to me. If you don't have the desire to connect with Christ, then you know. You know you don't love or you don't even know them. I can tell by your passion whether or not you love God. I like going to the movies. You like, anybody else like going to the movies? I like going to the movies. Uh, it's one of my favorite pastimes. If I get a date, mom says, let's not go to the movies. And I say, oh, let's, let's go to the movies. I like going to the movies. I, I like the whole experience. I like the whole bucket of tub of popcorn experience. I like the whole big slushy Coke experience. I love sitting in the dark room, laying back in the recliner experience. I love, my favorite thing about the movies are the previews. Because there's never a bad movie on the preview. They all look awesome, right? So they pull out the best three minutes of every movie and they show it and you're like, oh, I got to see that. I got to see that. It's alien monkeys attacking Earth, but man, I have got to see that. I sit there and watch the movie previews, and I just get all excited. I cannot wait to see that movie. That movie's going to be awesome. I love the movies. Except, I just refuse to go to, uh, I don't know how to describe them, uh, chick flick movies. Right? Real movies should not have any kissing in them whatsoever. In a real movie, stuff should get blown up. Like, if I want to watch a chick flick movie, I just go home and turn on Lifetime Television. It's full of chick flick movies on there, right? I just refuse to watch it. You would never mistake me as a guy who loves chick flick movies. I, I will admit this sin. Uh, my family tricked me into go seeing the, uh, the Greatest Showman the other day. Anybody seen that movie? Yeah, and they love it. They loved it. I was 30 seconds in, nine-year-old boys started singing. I looked at my wife and I said, what have you brought me to? Nobody's going to get killed. Nothing's going to get blown up. There's no detective. There's no army invasion. I, do, I need to leave right now. This is, this is not appropriate. You're never going to confuse me. Now, look, I'll cry in movies. I'll come out of a sports movie, and I'll be bawling like a baby. I'll, I'll come out of an army movie, and I'll be crying like a baby. I, I, I won't come out of a chick flip movie. I would not go see it. My wife on our DVR, we have direct TV. I don't even know what this movie's about. I'm a, she has had a steel magnolia saved for three years on our direct TV waiting for me to watch it. It ain't going to happen because I am not. So, look, I, there is nothing about me that likes a chick flick movie. And so when you see me in the movies, you can rest assured I am not going to see a chick flick movie. Why? I'm not a follower. I'm not a fan. It's not going to be part of my lifestyle. And yet, kind of that's what God was saying. You can tell a follower. It's easy to spot a follower. Those who are passionate about the things of God know they know. They love God. Those who are passionate about certain things, it, it tells us something about them. But more importantly, it just doesn't tell us. It tells them. By this you know. Do you care about the things of God? Are you trying to be obedient? 
You're trying to walk as Jesus walked. If you're just doing your own thing, then listen, I've, I've had people, apart from marriage counseling, the most counseling I've done in my ministry has been on salvation. And I have people come to me and they'll say, preacher, I just don't know that I'm saved. I said, let me ask you a question. How often are you reading your Bible? And they said, I'm not. How often are you praying? I'm not doing that either. Are you tithing? No, don't do that. When was the last time you shared your faith? I don't think ever. Where are you at on Friday nights? Places I shouldn't be. What are you doing on Saturdays? Things I shouldn't be doing. Well, can I be honest with you? You shouldn't feel saved if that's the way you're acting. Because the way you know you know is that there is this passion inside of you. Yes, I want to love God. Yes, I want to keep his commandments. Yes, I want to walk in fellowship with him. You can know for sure. There are those that know they know. And it's not about keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. It is the desire and passion of my heart is to walk as Jesus walked. They know they know. Secondly, there are those that, I'm going to go old school in the word, crow they know. Now, if you don't know what crow means, crow, crow is a term that meant uh, to brag loudly. Crow, they know. You say, well, that's in the Bible. Yes, of course it is. You find it uh, in verse number four. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. The apostle, Paul, uh, the apostle John took aim at one of those imposters who were plaguing the early church and a person who claimed to have the knowledge of God, but the promising words were linked with a life of disobedience to God's command. The verdict is obvious. The person had failed the test of chapter 2, verse 3, and, Paul, and John called him a liar. Why? It is absolutely impossible to know God and not to keep or be trying to keep his commandments. Obeying the commands of God is not necessary in order to know Christ. Rather, obedience is the evidence of knowing and loving Christ. Did you hear that? Obeying the commands of God is not necessary in order to know Christ. But obedience is the evidence of knowing and loving Christ. Here's what John was saying. A person's words must be tested by his works. There's so many people that claim they know Christ, but their lifestyle betrays them. Hey, you're, you're not old enough for this movie, but in 1927, the director Cecil B. DeMille cast British-born actor H.B. Warner as Jesus in his famous silent film, King of Kings, silent movie, King of Kings. It was a, it was a historic success of a, of a film about Jesus and Mary, his mother. H.B. Warner, most of you aren't going to know who that is, 19 years later played the druggist in It's a Wonderful Life. Hey, I got a couple pictures of him up here. Uh, there, there he is as Jesus uh, in um, uh, the, the silent movie King of Kings. But now show me the next picture. There he is in the druggist in It's a Wonderful Life. If you've seen, that's H.B. Warner. And uh, uh, that picture is kind of appropriate. But during the shooting of King of Kings, that director Cecil B. DeMille was concerned that any behavior by the lead actor deemed inconsistent with the image of Christ would result in negative publicity for the film. So get this. As a result, DeMille enforced strict measures that kept Warner, uh, kept up Warner's Jesus image or what he thought would be a good Jesus image. So get this. Warner and his co-star Dorothy Cumming, who played Mary, 
had to sign agreements that barred them for five years from appearing in films that might compromise their holy, I quote, holy screen images. Actors were required to be holy. And for five years, they couldn't be in any movie that they did not have a holy screen image. During the set, DeMille uh, uh, drove Warner. Warner was driven to the set with the blinds drawn on the Cadillac, and he wore a black veil as he was delivered to the set. He separated Warner from the other cast members, even forcing him to eat alone every day. He was not allowed to play cards, go to ball games, ride in a convertible, or go swimming while I was filming the movie. And to ensure the cast and crew observed a suitable level of reverence towards H.B. Warner's uh, Jesus Christ, no one except director DeMille was allowed to talk to him while he was in costume. Amazing. So he forced him to have holy sound. So he spoke the words of Jesus or silently uh, spoke the words of Jesus in the film. What happened to him while he was filming the movie? During the production of King of Kings, Warner became an alcoholic. Here was a man who was on the screen portraying Jesus. Saying the words of Jesus. And during the filming of the movie, Warner became an alcoholic. Why? Because no matter what words he said, his lifestyle could not maintain what he was saying with his mouth. And I want to say to you, there are always going to be people who claim to know Christ, claim to love Christ, but their lifestyles give them away. And that could be you here today. Could it be that you're in church and you're saying one thing, but you're living another? You're, you're trying to act one way, but you're living another. You're keeping up a front for, for us. You're keeping up a front for a spouse. You're keeping up a front for the preacher. And you're trying to uh, uh, put on this facade, but the truth is you don't know Jesus. There are those who know they know, and there are those who crow they know. And number three, there are those who show they know. We find that in verse five. But whosoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. The proof of love to Jesus is loyalty. Hey, let me ask you a question. Look, look this way. What would a wife think of a husband who said, oh, honey, I loved you, but every single week he ran around with another woman? Do you think him saying I love you matters at all? No, as a matter of fact, get this, him saying, he's saying I love you would make her angrier. Because the proof of love is Loyalty. And John was trying to tell us when one becomes a Christian, there is a change in their relationship with sin. Sin is not eliminated in the believer until he comes to glory, but their relationship to sin is changed when you become a Christian. Look this way. Hey, just close your Bibles and listen to me preach for five minutes. I'm done. Less than five minutes. Here's the deal. You say, well, preacher, man, you're you're making it hard this morning. You're telling me that, that if I sin, I'm not Christian. I'm not saying that. As a matter of fact, John, 1 John says in the book, he who says he doesn't sin is a liar. 
Like we, we know we're going to sin. That's never been the case. I'm talking about those who are trying to live for God. I'm talking about those who say they love God and, and don't live for God. I'm talking about those who have a passion for God. But here's the truth. You show the world you know God by how you react to sin because it ought to change. What do you mean? A Christian no longer loves sin the way he used to love sin. A Christian ought no longer to brag about their sin the way they used to brag about sin. A Christian no longer plans to sin the way he used to plan to sin. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin. A Christian no longer fully enjoys his sin. A Christian no longer is comfortable in habitual sin the way it used to be. That's how you know you love God. That's how you know your love has reached maturity. You are loyal in your lifestyle. You show not only yourself that you love God. It is evident to a world around you. Why? Because you're walking the way Jesus walked. The proof of your salvation of the world around you is your obedience to Christ. It's not saying you have to be perfect. But your intent is to follow Hey, Josh, come get a song together. I read this week, somebody's written a book, and the title of it is Three Felonies a Day. In the book, he says that um, the average American commits up to three felonies a day without knowing it. Three felonies. And he, he, he explains it all in the book. Where he says we have too many laws and regulations in America. And so the average day when you go to bed at night, you go to bed a felon. He has a chapter in the book, and he talks about what's well, not just felonies. You go to bed at night having created, uh, committed all kinds of crimes during the day. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Preacher, I'm not a criminal. Okay, well, let's just sing. Let's talk about it. Did you know singing happy birthday Christmas songs or the Macarena in public is probably a crime? Those are copyrighted songs. As a matter of fact, in the 90s, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers asked the Girl Scouts to pay royalties for teaching campers the Macarena. Am I saying that right, Macarena? I'm trying to forget it. but um. so, if, so here's the truth. In all probability, last week when we sang birthday to Josh, we committed a crime because it was such a large group. So you went to bed that night a criminal. Speeding is a crime. How many of you have never speeded in your life ever? Raise your hand. Driving without a seatbelt is a crime in 33 states. Using your cell phone while driving. 31 states have banned any cell phone use. 41 banned texting while driving. 12 states ban all drivers from using any handheld device. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm standing before you today a criminal. Here's why. Failing to update your driver's license when you move is a crime. Let's do it in five days. In most states, I have not done it. I'm going to board a plane this afternoon and head for the West Coast, and I will show them a a driver's license that says Lawrenceville, Georgia. Sharing medication is a crime. So when somebody asks you for that pain pill that you have, you hand it to them and they take it. Commit a crime. You say, and I go on and on, you say, well, why am I not in jail? Because you haven't been caught. 
And unfortunately, I just publicly confessed on video. That's probably not good. I should have thought this sermon through a little bit. Now look, that's no excuse, but there is a difference between, hang with me for just a second. Just look at now, the police aren't going to make a distinction, but, but help me make this distinction. There's a difference between breaking the law and being a lawbreaker. Here's what I mean by that. The person who broke the law, in all probability, made a mistake and is trying their best to correct it. The other has a disregard for the law. And it's easy to figure out which you are. Let's move it over to the spiritual. Hey, we're all going to break the law. We're all going to do things we shouldn't do. We're all going to act in ways we shouldn't act. We're all going to say things we shouldn't say. But, however, if when you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and you try to right your wrong, you broke the law. You're not a lawbreaker. You're, you're probably saved. You're probably going to heaven because the Holy Spirit convicted your heart and you're trying to make things right as soon as possible. That's what 1 John is talking about. He's not preaching perfection. He is preaching a pursuit of perfection. A passion for Christ that's trying to get there. But there are other people, and they're in the church this morning. Hey, they're at the Rossville campus. They're at the Rock Spring campus. And the fact is, you have a total disregard for the things of God. You're checking Sunday morning worship off a list to please God family, to ease your conscience, to ease, a, to please a friend, to please somebody, and you go out and you live your life with no regard for God whatsoever, you do not love God. Chances are you don't even know Him. You know what love is? Love is when you act and walk the way Jesus did. It brings love to God when we act, when we live, when we walk the way God instructed us to walk. Do you love Jesus this morning? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here today and you want to join our church, you want to come for baptism, you need to be baptized, you want to join this church, whether you're at Rossville, whether you're in the overflow room, whether you're here in this auditorium, there's a, there's a staff member standing up front, all you have to do is walk down the aisle and tell that staff member, hey, I want to join this church, I want to be baptized. It could be one or the other or both. If you filled out that connection card, it's real easy, just walk down the aisle and hand them that card. If not, just come down the aisle, take one of them by the hand say, I want to join this church. They'll, they'll walk you through it. It's real easy. So whether you're in this room, whether you're at the Rossville campus, whether you're in the overflow, just walk down front. There's a staff member down there. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, but you'd like to know. Maybe this morning you've been walking around, you've been playing church, you've been playing Christianity, and this morning God's just opened the door and, and, and to your heart, and he said to you, hey, you do not know me. You, you do not love me. 
This morning you want to fix that. This morning you want the Spirit of God to come into your life and change you and give you that passion for serving God. If that's you, I want you to pray with me just now. It's not the words you say, but the intent of your heart is trust Jesus. So while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you'd like to become a Christian today, would you pray with me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I cannot save myself, but I know that Christ died on the cross for my sins so I could be saved. And just now invite Jesus into my life. To save me, forgive me of my sins, and give me a home in heaven. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and our soul looking around. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.